Hello, welcome to episode 19 of the I Want to Party with Bob podcast. This is a big one. This is uh, part three of Bobtober here on the podcast. We're continuing on with a creepy, kind of spooky theme that I've had going all month, all of October. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the history of the band The Misfits. And now, let me say a couple things about that real quick. Uh, this is specifically going to be only the history of the Misfits, like very in-depth history of them from their formation in 1977 until they broke up. The Danzig version of the Misfits broke up in 1983. So really the focus is mostly on that. And let me say this. It, I really it, had no idea how much depth to this story there was when I first decided to do this podcast. Because let me say this. I... I love the Misfits. I truly do. Uh, I love them in most of their forms. You know, the Jerry only, Des Kadena, Marky Ramone version. Eh, it's okay. It's not really my cup of tea. I just don't like Jerry's voice that much, I guess. But the other versions, the, the obviously the original, the Danzig version, fantastic. Love them. The Michael Graves version with Jerry and Doyle and Dr. Chud. I absolutely love that version, and it's schlocky pop metal, but it's fantastic. Oh, hang on. Uh, Welcome aboard the I Want to Party with Bob podcast. Now, tonight tonight is brought to you by the fine people at Boatswain, um, which is, I think, Rhineland Brewing or something. I don't fucking know. Uh, Boatswain uh, Chocolate Stout is the beer of choice on tonight's podcast, and that's available at Trader Joe's for $4.99 a six-pack. Jesus. Like last time I paid that much for this was around the for a six-pack of beer, I should say. Uh, it was around the time the Misfits broke up in 1983. Actually, I was 13, so I didn't buy beer. Then I, I was 14 the first time I bought beer. So, yeah. That helps when you have a beard and you're 13 years old. Apparently, it's a lot easier to buy alcohol. So let's move on to, um, you know, the actual nuts and guts of this podcast tonight, uh, the Misfits, or you could refer to them as Glenn Danzig's Misfits, as popular opinion would have it. Um, he is absolute lord and master of the band. Well, that's not true, and we're going to get to that. We're going to get into that a little later, so stick with me here. The, uh, the Going into this, another thing, I really thought, like, this is going to be great because there is so much opportunity for me just to talk shit about so many different things so many different like I thought oh my god like the shit talking potential on this podcast is humongous like bigger than anything I've ever done look at the Danzig the Danzig memes that are out there right now it's comedy gold it's great it truly is and it there's a lot of people out there that don't like the guy well you know as you listen through this you're going to find some surprising things about Danzig you may not have known before. I learned a ridiculous amount of stuff about the Misfits I had no idea I needed to know. And once I learned it, I go, you know, I'm glad I know that now because that was really interesting. So, yeah, this is going to be a good one, I think. I'm I'm really pretty excited about this. The um, one thing I do want to say, let's get a little shit talking out of the way right away. Uh, the Doyle, Jerry, and Danzig version of the Misfits that are playing live shows right now. Um, it, there is definitely some shit-talking potential right now because, sweet Jesus, I, I, 
you know, when Doyle's playing his guitar, you wa- have you seen videos? Like, go on YouTube and look for, like, Misfits reunion shows or something like that and just watch. All Doyle does, and Doyle's the giant Frankenstein-looking uh, guitar player. All he does is punch and beat the living shit out of his guitar. And you're going, why? How? How is he making those sounds come out of it? Because this song actually sounds pretty good. Well, uh-huh. spoiler alert, he's not. Um, he's probably not even plugged in, to be honest with you. There's like three guys behind him actually playing the songs. Uh, you know, it, it, Jerry, uh, well, oh, hang on. Let me say about Doyle real quick, though. Doyle does, he looks damn good. Dude's like 55 years old as of this podcast right now in uh, October of 2019. That dude looks good, man. He's in good shape. I mean, he's like, yeah, dude. You, I now I see why the the WWE took you guys in a few years ago. Cause, yeah, you're looking good, though. I'm not ashamed to admit it. He's he's a good looking fella. Uh, he is. He is a good looking guy. I'm, hang on, I'm a little distracted right now. Ooh, God, did it just did it get warmer in here? Is that just me? I'm not sure. Regardless, let's move on to Jerry and, and, you know, how he's looking these days. Jerry only. That's the bass player of the Misfits currently and in the past, too. Uh, we have a lot to say about Jerry on this one. Oh, yeah, we have we have many, many, many things to talk about uh, as far as Jerry is concerned on this one. Uh, Jerry's got probably the worst comb over devil lock I've ever seen in my life right now. He, physically, the man is still a good specimen. He's in pretty good shape, too. You know, him and Doyle, like, they've been pumping those irons for a long time. So, uh, yeah, he's looking good, except for that comb-over, man. It's not good. Now, nah, let's be uh, a Danzig boy. Oh. oh, Glenn. Oh, Glenn. He just doesn't look that great. He's got this weird, like, receding hairline bullet thing going on. Uh, it, his hair, very obviously dyed black. Dude's in his, like, late 50s, maybe early 60s. I didn't look at his birth date. Jesus, I got everything but the guy's social security number for this podcast. Trust me, I put on my detective hat and went to town. But yeah, man, that like really that old man dyed hair look, and it's like this receding hairline, almost mullet th- mane thing. Like, what the fuck? I mean, it, seriously, it's like Donald Trump level of bad hair. Like, man, you know, you have enough money, you don't have to look this bad. You really do. I mean, you could like clone a new head for yourself or something with the money that he has i think i think i only i didn't look at danzig's net worth but i looked at doyle and jerry's and yeah they're worth a few bucks uh, by the way they really are danzig also has this weird little pot belly thing going on where you know he's not quite as muscular and fit as the other guys and doesn't quite look as good as he did back in the you know twist of cane days was the first uh, danzig solo record um, like, I can fucking talk with my stomach. I, I don't know. Danzig does look a little ridiculous. One great thing about the reunion, all these shows, most of them, I think, Dave Lombardo of Slayer is playing drums for them. And holy shit. You know, I'm talking shit already, right? just right out of the starting gate. That's okay. That's what I'm here for. Uh, I got to say, they sound fucking fantastic. I I love the Misfits. I love all those older songs from the the old, kind of the origin period, like the beginning of the band, the first several years when they formed, before they broke up in 83. I love the vast majority of those songs, and they are doing those songs right. Now, like I said, I don't know. Doyle, I really don't think he's playing guitar on in any of those live shows at all. Um, maybe a tiny, tiny, tiny bit uh, 
Jerry, uh, who knows? But Jerry's been playing bass pretty consistently since 77, since he first started playing bass. So, yeah, he might actually be playing. Danzig sounds fucking good. And with Lombardo on drums, holy shit. They sound great. They, they, like I said, I do. I love the Misfits. I wouldn't be doing this podcast if I did not like and or love them. Um, and I think they sound really, really great um, for this reunion. They really do. So, um, they, you know, like I said, I'm talking shit, but I do. I love the Misfits. So this is kind of my my own personal homage to the Misfits and what they're about and who they are and how they sound. And, you know, it it's a, it's a shitty homage, but it is. It doesn't. I'm not bitter or upset or angry about anything regarding the Misfits whatsoever, except for one thing, and we're going to get to that. There's somebody involved with a band that I think was treated very, very unfa- unfairly. And it, trust me, it's not Glenn fucking Danzig, okay, in this case. So, um, yeah, so like I was saying, I mean, this this podcast turned into way more than I thought it would be because I thought it would be, okay, well, the Misfits started, you know, and, uh, eh, you know, Danzig couldn't really get along with other people, so they broke up, and then they did some other bands, and now they're playing again, the end. Okay, oh, great podcast. Thanks for coming tonight, Bob. Um, let me wet my whistle real quick while you, you digest what I just said. Mm, this chocolate stout is, it's good. It's pretty good. It's fairly bitter. I like a good smooth stout. It's a, I don't like a really high alcohol percentage stout. This one's 5.4, so it's kind of perfect. It's one of those, you know, keep the podcast going smoothly kind of beers, and that's, that's what we all want here. Um, I was going to insert something, you know, like beer companies take. No, you guys should start giving me free beers. Whoever you are, if you're listening, I'd, I'll talk about you instead of all this Trader Joe's cheap beer that I talk about. Well, I kind of don't fucking care anymore. To be honest with you, I'm not doing this for free beer. I'm doing this because I enjoy talking about things and learning new things, especially about bands and, and other subjects that I already love. So here we are. Enough of my rambling. Uh, like I said, yeah, we're going to focus on the 77 to 83 Danzig version of the Misfits. The stuff that comes after that, well, we'll touch on a little bit like Danzig's, the the, the kind of things he was up to after the Misfits. Um, the bands the other guys were in, the re- the reformed Misfits without Danzig. We're going to touch on that. We're not going to go into any kind of great detail. I think this is actually going to be part one of a Misfits podcast that will continue on. We'll get to more Misfits kind of shenanigans because they're this fucking band. They, they get up to a lot of shenanigans, okay? They truly, truly do. And it's, it's impressive how many shenanigans they get up to. Um, they, I, I was shocked. I mean, I was reading this, sitting out here for, I'm not shitting you, almost a week straight, like scripting and researching and going through all these different sources to find all this information, and every, going down all these rabbit holes like crazy shit left and right. And but these guys fucking, they're shifty. They are, they're interesting characters. Every single one of them that's involved in the story, except for one guy and it, who I think is like a solid dude throughout the whole thing. And I'm, I'm going to talk, I'm just going to say, it's Bobby Steele. The dude's like a champ. He's a great, solid dude that just got fucked by this whole thing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get that out of the way. That dude's that dude's a, a solid, good dude, I think. And um, the Misfits really hosed the poor guy. So, yeah, we're, we're going to get to a lot of different Bobby Steele things because he's a uh, he's got some interesting stories that I picked up and found on the Internet and, you know, I it's good stuff. It truly is. It truly is. So 
this is going to be Misfits Part 1, the early years, touching on the later stuff. We'll get more into some of their weird side things that they did on another one in the down the road somewhere. Okay, and hopefully, hopefully, I kind of, you know, I sent Bobby Steele a message. Bobby, if you do listen to this, I, I would love to talk to you sometime because I think you would have some great, great things to say that I'm not going to touch on tonight. Some really good stories, inside information, and about his the band he started after the Misfits called The Undead, which is phenomenal too. Uh, yeah, I'd love to talk to him. So that well, hopefully we'll be doing that and more on the rest of what the other schmucks in the Misfit, Misfits have done after 1983 and on. So trust me when I say this, this podcast is going to be pretty big. It's pretty long. Trust me on that. So let's get let's get right to it. Um, you know. The music at the very beginning is fairly somber. That's one of those, you know, royalty-free things where some guy wrote or lady, I don't know. Why do I always say guy? You know, that's just that mentality. Um, somebody wrote the music, put it out there. It's royalty-free, so I can just play it. It's somber and sad because, you know, we are going, going to touch on a little bit of the uh, somber and sad side of life on this podcast several times, and it also was a creepy song, so there you go. But the rest of it... I didn't feel real comfortable playing an actual Misfits song because I don't want Jerry Only's like lawyer track coming to my house, knocking on my door, you know. Hey, uh, I, I heard you played a Misfits song. Let's uh, let's not do that anymore. Okay, cease and desist. Okay. You know, something like that probably could happen. But what we are going to play are two covers of two different Misfits songs that I love. The original songs. And I think I actually like both these covers more than the original songs. How's that? That's actually, that's pretty great. I think I'm stoked about that. Uh, the first song we're going to play after my little intro here is an acoustic version of the song Astro Zombies by my good friend Misky of City Mouse. And uh, like I said, I'll play that after this kind of extended intro part I'm doing right now. Um, the song that's going to be at the very end of the podcast is a cover of Where Eagles Dare, by Sloppy Seconds, and holy shit, what a song that is. And Bobby Steele, who was in The Misfits, I already you know briefly mentioned him, was in The Misfits from 1978 to 1980. Uh, he actually plays guitar on this version of the song, on, on this cover song. I'll tell this story in a few minutes here, but yeah, yeah, it's actually one of The Misfits playing guitar on this Sloppy Seconds song, which is so rad, right? So let's, uh, let's talk about Sloppy Seconds for a little bit. Why not? They're incredible. It's sloppy seconds. I don't, you know, I don't know why I haven't really ever gotten into them up until a couple of weeks ago. To be honest with you, they have everything that I typically love in a band. They're it's kind of poppy. It's really catchy. It's got kind of that snotty thing going on. It's very melodic. The songs are fairly funny. You know, there's there's humor involved, but they're you know even all those things combined make for an awesome band. Uh, there's a little bit of a Ramones thing going on. Yeah, there is. There is a little bit. I I feel shitty say, to say, like, I never listened to Sloppy Seconds until now. I, I think when I was a kid, like, when I was a teenager, I would have been, abs- and they were active when I was a teenager. I would have been absolutely head over heels for, for this band, and I just never got into them. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So... I feel like I'm making up for lost time lately, and 49-year-old Bob loves the shit out of Sloppy Seconds. They, it's so good. 
Like I, I've been listening to them pretty much nonstop since I figured out that they had a cover of Where Eagles Dare that I wanted to play on the podcast. Um, it, the band, it, they have more hooks than a Hellraiser movie. See, did a little Halloween Hellraiser, Clyde Barker, uh, Pinhead, you know, the little, little Halloween joke there. Ha ha. Yeah, happy Halloween. Uh, the Sloppy Seconds record destroyed is so, so good. That came out in 1989. It's definitely still out there today. From there, listen to that record. Then from there, move on to the record uh, Endless Bummer. And that came out in 2008. And that record is fucking phenomenal. Bo- both are. So Destroyed is probably their their prime work, I would say. Maybe. I don't know. Endless Bummer is, fuck, it's so good. It truly is so good. It's They're so catchy. They are so, so catchy and so good. Keep going from there. They've got quite a, quite a few things out. Um. You know, let's just say, while I was I, while I was trying to figure out what Misfits cover I wanted to play for this episode, I just went out. I I Google searched Misfits covers. I didn't find shit. So I go, okay, well let me let me think. Let me do something a little bit more specific. And what I came up with, I go, okay, I I had a list of songs, and Where Eagles Dare was one of those songs. So I put in, you know, to the Google box, the uh, info center of the internet. Uh, World Wide Web, what I put in, I put in cover of, like, Where Eagles Dare. And what's the first thing that popped up? The Sloppy Seconds song. I go, fuck, I had no idea those guys did it. And I'm familiar with them. Like I said, I never never really got into them up to this point. But that's definitely changed now. Um, I listened to that song and fucking blew me away. Like, whoa, dude, like, this is way better than the original version. Like, this is insane. It's great. A uh, little bit of history you know, one reason why I am slightly familiar with them is that Tilt Wheel did play a show with them a couple of years ago here in San Diego. So I do have a tiny bit of history with them. Not really. We played first. They played last. To, and, uh, yeah, so that's, you know, that's like, that's literally like a speck of dust on their shoes as they've traced their way through the punk rock life um, since, like, the early 80s. So, yeah, anyway, that's my way of making myself feel a little better maybe, saying, like, oh, I have history with Sloppy Seconds. We played one show with them. Yeah, those fucking guys have played probably like 2,000 shows in their whole existence or something. Dumbass. That's me, a dumbass. Nobody else. So I sent him a message on Facebook, and I said, Hey, would you guys mind if I used your cover of Where Eagles Dare for this podcast that I'm doing about the Misfits, and it's around Halloween, and yada, yada? Um, Singer of Sloppy Seconds, B.A., wrote back to me right away and said, yeah, dude, go for it. That's great. Awesome. I can't wait to hear it. I said, okay, cool. So we exchanged emails, started talking back and forth. I, I always like to do like kind of a little, you know, interview-ish kind of thing for the main band that I'm focusing on the podcast as far as like the song that I play at the end. You know, that's my shtick if you've listened before for sure, but that's what I do. I love to play a song by a band that I really like or really love or that's very applicable to the podcast at the very end. But I really like to talk about what band that is who, you know, who performed this song or whatever, just because um, it's a little bit of me saying like, well, thank you for letting me use a song here. Hopefully somebody hears what I'm saying about you guys gets interested and you pick up a few new people that like it kind of thing. I don't know. You know, it's me, Bob, doing my part for DIY punk. Um, for at least the last, what, oh, three months or so? Yeah, anyway, four months. Okay, great. So, yeah, we did email back and forth, did a little mini interview kind of thing, and that dude, B.A., is so nice and so cool. 
He was very, very helpful. Uh, let's get to a little background info on Sloppy Seconds. So they started playing. Um, they got together and started playing in the summer of 1983 on the south side of Indianapolis, Indiana. The very first lineup of the band was B.A. on vocals, uh, Boba Jam on, ba- on bass. I almost said bass. I'm reading from a script. Maybe he did play the bass at first. He's like, hey, how do you play this fucking fish? I'm kidding. Uh, totally. Uh, Steve Sloppy played drums and Dr. Roadkill played guitar. Now, Steve, Boba, and B.A. had been friends since the second grade. That's a long, long time to stay friends. Uh, Dr. Roadkill did leave the band in 1993, and a fine fellow by the name of Ace Hardware became the main guitar player for Sloppy Seconds, or the guitar player. Um, ever since then, the lineup of the band has, has been exactly the same since 1993. So 93 to 2019, you do the math, I'm shitty at it. That's a long fucking time, man. What is it, uh, 26 years? Yeah, it's 26 years. I'm not so shitty at math as I thought I was. Okay, good. Good. Maybe the beer's making me smarter. Let's, uh, let's test that out. Well, I don't know. It's, it's making me a lot less thirsty. And for some reason, I feel a little bit better after I took that sip. That's funny how beer works, isn't it? It's a magic juice. I know. Um, the band has the band Sloppy Seconds. I am still talking about Sloppy Seconds, by the way. Uh, the band has the following releases. As far as full lengths go, they have 1989's Destroyed. In 1993, they put out a record called Knock Your Block Off. In 96, they put out a live record called No Time for Tuning. In 1998, a record called More Trouble Than They're Worth. And in 2008, they released Endless Bummer which is a fucking great record. Yeah, pick that one up for sure. That and Destroyed for sure. I haven't listened too much to the other stuff, but I, I will. I'm sure I'll get to them. Um, they, are, they do have a bunch of 7 Inches, and they're out. Bun- their songs are on a bunch of comps, especially for this podcast, Notable 7 Inches, 1992's, the first 7 Inches, and then some, which is out on Tang Records. There's 15 songs on it, and Where Eagles Dare is on the CD version of it. There's an older version when that 7-inch first came out with Where Eagles Dare on 1987's. Um, yeah, they put that out. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. There's a, I'm reading my own script. Dude, okay, you know, I'm scripting for sure on the podcast now, and I lose myself every once in a while. So bear with me. I'm just some idiot in my, sitting in my garage talking about stuff. So uh, they did put another version of this 7-inch out on their own label, Alternative Testicles. And I appreciate the name of that label's pretty great. One thing, uh, you know, you got to you gotta take what Sloppy Seconds say uh, pretty lightly because they are they are uh, basically a band of, of uh, chuckleheads, I think. Was that a fair thing to say and non-offensive to them in any way? Because I don't want to offend them. They've been pretty good to me through this. So a band of chuckleheads. Okay. Sorry, B.A. I hope that doesn't bother you if you're if you do listen to this so ba told me they do have enough new stuff to release a new full length at any time but coordinating with everybody to get everybody together to record is is rough because they're kind of scattered all over the country they don't all live in indianapolis anymore Um, they would like to put out a new full length for sure and they are planning on doing some touring in the year of 2020 so that's good news um let's talk about this version of where eagles dare now for a sec the the Sloppy Seconds version of this song, Bobby Steele did play guitar on this, and here's how that happened. Um, Bobby was in Indianapolis. He was rehearsing for a Midwest tour with his new band after the Misfits broke up called The Undead. 
And Steve Sloppy, the drummer of Sloppy Seconds, was filling in on drums for the undead, kind of rehearsing, going over things for this tour. Um, Sloppy Seconds had been playing the song Where Eagles Dare as an encore, you know, after their set for a while, for, I don't know, maybe a year or two or something like that. Uh, so they took, they while Bobby Steele was in town, they took the opportunity and asked him, hey, what, do you want to play guitar on this recording with us of this song? And he said, yeah, for sure. Um, he, the, one of the reasons why he wanted to do it was because the version of Where Eagles Dare that he recorded with the Misfits had been tampered with by somebody and his guitar track was gone and had been replaced. So he wanted to preserve his guitar playing more or less for posterity's sake. Um, and Glenn Danzig is the person that actually went went through and he, uh, overdubbed Bobby Steele's guitar track on the Legacy of Brutality, kind of like a weird greatest hits thing that Danzig just fucking wiped everything out and kind of redid by himself, like the whole thing, after they broke up, by the way. So, yeah, what a dickhead, man. You know, he has, you're, you're going to see, that dude does some, pull some serious dick moves in here, but he's not the main bad guy in the band. No, 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 you're going to see who the main bad guy is here soon. So just stay tuned, okay? Stay tuned. Now, the other thing is about dancing going through an overdubbing. He, dancing didn't tell Bobby Steele he was doing that. He just did it. He was like, eh, who cares if he's fucking, you know, whatever. If, he, if his guitar stuff that he put down that he thought would be this lasting thing is totally gone from the master tapes and blah. Well, fuck, who gives a shit? Yeah. What a dick fucking move. What a shitty thing to do. Right? It makes you want to slap that fucking receding mullet right off the back. You know that's probably a wig Danzig has now. I bet you that ain't even his real hair. It looks like a weave, maybe. I don't know, whatever. So, uh, the song Where Eagles Stare, as far as the Misfits are concerned, was originally on the A Night of the Living Dead 7-inch as a B-side, uh, along with the song Rat Finks. So, uh, Seconds version of Where Eagles Dare, that is my very, very, very favorite uh, Misfits cover of all time, I believe. And I've heard quite a few, so there you go. It's it's worth noting, and I think everybody should know that. So now, one of the questions I asked uh, B.A. was, what do you think about the Misfits? Like, what what's your opinion of the Misfits? Do you like them or no? And he told me, yeah, he loves them. He loves them up through the early 80s. Um, he's not a big fan of the Earth AD record. Uh, after, you know, Danzig was gone, is he a fan of the Misfits? He thinks they have some good songs, but it's not really the same band as the the version of the misfits that Danzig was singing for. And I, to, excuse me, I totally agree with him on that. I completely agree with him on that. Um, what song does he like once Danzig was gone? What songs? Uh, Saturday night. And that's off the famous monsters record. That's the Michael Graves version of misfits. And that's a fucking great song. That's probably my favorite post Danzig misfits song of all time. So good man, BA, you, you know, your shit, dude. Um, good taste, I should say. Um, the other song that he says he really likes is Don't Open Till Doomsday, and that's also a great song, and that's off of uh, American Cycle. Um, he, B.A. said he does not really consider any version of The Misfits without Danzig too legitimate. I, yeah, I agree there, too. It's not the same band. So um, the last question I had for B.A. and Sloppy Seconds in general is, he, how, you know, and I, I this is kind of my shtick as well, as I always ask people, what are burritos like where you're from and or what's your favorite burrito? So I asked him, how are the burritos in, in Indiana? 
And where do you think the best burrito was that you've ever eaten? So, see, it's my stock question for sure. He says burritos in Indiana are nothing special. But he did have a good burrito story for me. So, Sloppy Seconds was on tour. And they were playing at a place called the Burrow Room in Chico, California. Chico, ooh, I love Chico. Been there a few times. It's a great place. Um, next door to where they were playing was a place called Haywans or Juanitas. It, I'm not sure. I kind of tried to backtrack through this on online, and there, it's all those places are gone now. But regardless, um, yeah, it said actually that the uh, the Burrow Room is now a wine bar, and Haywans or Juanitas is now a soda boutique in downtown Chico. And what the fuck is a soda boutique? I don't even want to know what a soda boutique is. R- regardless, you know, BA went over to uh, the burrito place. That's the the important part here. He ordered the monster burrito. They had several, you know, different steps and sizes of burritos, and he did order the biggest one he could. Said he watched the dude making the burrito scoop out the beef and the refried beans with a huge, like, metal scoop and put it onto a tortilla the size of a tablecloth Rolled that son of a gun up, handed it to him. He said it was a burrito about the size of a football, and he ate it. They hadn't even played yet. Ate the whole thing. Played the show, even though he just, like, huffed down like a five-pound burrito. Good man. Good man. I'm proud of that dude for that. I I wouldn't be able to move for, like, two days, but this I think B.A. is a trooper. He's a, he's a, he's a good man for that, I think. Um, the next day, they also went to a place called Murder Burger. They were playing in Davis, and Murder Burger was in Davis. Murder Burger actually became Red Rum, you know, haha, that's murder backwards, in later years. And it just closed this year, actually. And he, you know, got a giant fucking biggest cheeseburger they had. Like, I asked him, dude, did, did you guys go around the country, like, doing those food challenges at places? Because you, here you eat this massive burrito at one place, and then you go to this burger place up the road and have, like, the biggest burger in California there. Do you have, is, are your pictures like up in all these places? Like this guy did the five pound steer burger challenge and he didn't actually answer the question, but uh, he did say that they were living kind of thinly, you know, kind of, kind of, uh, trying to save money as they were doing this tour. And so they ate mostly like bologna sandwiches or whatever. And when they got money, they would go and they would just eat the biggest meal they could cause they weren't eating much. So yeah. All right. Good for you. That's great. He kind of a hero of mine now, besides being a singer and a, fantastic band he's also like one of a champ in the the food contest department maybe i don't know maybe i don't know i don't know so i you know here it, it's turning we're a half hour in and it, it see, appears this is turning into more of a podcast about sloppy seconds which is fine but let's get to the misfits uh we got a ways to go on that so um the, the listen to sloppy seconds check them out they got all their stuff's on spotify Still available, available to buy all over the place, so check them out. They're they're great. Trust me, you would not be disappointed. They are so so good. And um, if they come see you, they will be like I said, they will be touring in 2020, or they're planning on it. Go see them because they're fucking great live too. So um, thanks, BA. I really appreciate everything. You're the best, man. That was awesome. Thank you so much for letting me use the song, and I'll, I'll sure I'll say thank you at the very end of the podcast again. But thanks, dude. Honestly, thank you. Now up next. Uh, kind of this little intermission piece we're going to do here. I'm going to play an acoustic version of the song Astro Zombies by Misky of City Mouse. And that song, Astro Zombies, off of the Misfits record Walk Among Us, which was released in 1982. little information there for you. Um, I had so much good stuff to say about City Mouse in the podcast. Last time on the Haunted Mansion, where I played one of her songs, 
I'm not going to say much more about them other than they are absolutely fantastic. And first band in the I Want to Party with Bob podcast history that has a song and two uh, concurrent podcasts. So that's how much I love them. So here you go. Here's an awesome version of Astro Zombies by Miski of City Mouse. How was that? that? That great song. I love it. Thanks again, Misky. We'll get another thank you in there for you here at the end. So, history of the misfits. Here we go. Let's get to the point. Let's actually get to the point. It's about time, don't you think? Yeah, I agree with you. I do. I have a tendency to go on and on, but um, th- this thing is my podcast, and I do do what I want. You know, I've said that many, many times. I know th- this is a subject I am very interested in, though. It's the history of a punk band that's very um, the fundamental to uh, punk rock in general. I think so many bands were inspired by them, by the Misfits. It, it, it's good stuff. So the Misfits, all right. They were formed in 1977 in Lodi, New Jersey. Now that's spelled L-O-D-I, Lodi. Apparently, I looked this up, that's how you pronounce it. You don't pronounce it Lodi. People don't like that. I I've, I've heard. I don't know. That's what the internet told me, and the internet's always right, right? Never lies. Okay, good. So Lodi is in North Jersey. It's close to Newark, um, fairly close to the Hudson River, and the Bronx is right across the river from it, you know, in proximity if you're as the crow flies or as the uh, Danzig takes the bus or whatever. So um, I'm actually from South New Jersey, which is very rural. I think a lot of meth, a lot of rednecks. Uh, North Jersey, word on the street is it's kind of a shithole. I don't know. I I was in North Jersey a couple of years ago. We played in Trenton and flew out of Newark to get home. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. It wasn't the best place on earth, but it wasn't that bad either. So yeah, whatever. I don't know. People that say things about places, maybe they haven't spent a lot of time there and gotten to know the locals and the tomato pie and everything that they have there. That's pizza, by the way, in North Jersey. So. 
Um, the following famous people, this is a little tidbit for you, other than the misfits that came from Lodi, um, one of the Tuskegee Airmen, Spawn Watson, was from Lodi. So there are some dudes who played football that were famous, who gives a shit. Um, some dudes that were in the military. And then there are a few famous mobsters from Lodi. So, yeah, if that tells you anything about the town, um, there you go. It's mobsters. Close proximity to New York City. Um, New Jersey. The Sopranos? You thinking Sopranos? Oh, guess what? Yeah, you're right. You would definitely be right about that. Uh, I'll get to that in a little bit here. Um, the uh, I would say the Misfits are probably Lodi's biggest claim to fame, definitely. Because at, at one point, they were all from Lodi, like at an early point in the band's career. Every single one of them lived in and was from and went to high school in Lodi. So uh, Danzig started the band, or actually, let me, let me say this first. Uh the the name the misfits Danzig named the band after marilyn monroe's very last movie her the final movie she ever made the misfits uh, the band started with the following guys uh, it was Danzig. then he found a drummer named manny martinez uh, manny saw a car parked on the side of the street and there was a bass in the back seat so he went and found the dude and said hey do you play bass and dude was like yeah i do i do i just got this for christmas a couple months ago I just started playing, and that guy's name was Jerry Kayafa. Um, that's Jerry only, by the way. I'll give you the story of Jerry's name and how he got the Jerry only name in just a sec. At the very beginning of the Misfits, nobody played guitar. So when they started practicing, when they started sorting things out and writing songs and stuff, Danzig was playing the electric piano or keyboards. Jerry was playing bass, and Manny was playing drums. Um, wouldn't that be a shitty band name? Danzig's Electric Piano. Doesn't that just bring like kind of a, a, a weird and somewhat horrible picture to mind when you... Danzig's Electric Piano. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the Misfits recorded and released their very first 7-inch in August of 1977. And this 7-inch, this first release, there's no guitar, just Danzig's Electric Piano or keyboard, uh, bass and drums, and Danzig singing. And Danzig put this record out on his own label, Blank Records. It was two songs, Cough, Cool, and She. And I, I really want to say, <clears throat> Cough, Cool, I really want to say that this record is fucking terrible, right? Doesn't it sound like it would be bad? Danzig singing, first time, he, you know, or first, you know, I don't know, maybe it isn't the first time he ever recorded, but... Uh, first Misfits thing, Danzig singing, playing the keyboard, Jerry only, who's only been playing bass for a little while, playing bass, and this guy, Manny Martinez, playing drums. You know what? It's not fucking bad. It really isn't. It's actually, it's a little weird. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's a little strange. It's a little different. But it, geez, it actually is not bad at all. I, I listened to it a few times and was like, you know, this is kind of like really grabbing me like uh, i appreciate it I, look it up it's on youtube just type in the misfits cough cool and there it is it's it's actually pretty good check it out really weird but pretty good the drums on it are fucking great like and the vocals dancing sounds phenomenal sounds really really good i do love the way dancing sounds i do i do 
Um, but on this very first seven inch of the Misfits, he sounds super good. I may I'll talk a lot of shit about Danzig for sure, especially coming up here and there. Um, but that dude, he can sing. Uh, he's great at playing the electric piano, keyboard, whatever, by the way, too. Yeah. Ha -ha. Now, Jerry. Okay. Jerry, you know, he was one of the very founding members of the Misfits. That is important to realize later as, as the story kind of develops. Um, he, like I said, he hadn't been playing bass for very long when he joined the band only about two months after he got his bass for a, as a Christmas present from his dad. Um, isn't his name hard to pronounce? Kaiafa. Say it with me. Kaiafa. Spelled C-A-I-A-F-A. -A -A. That that's hard for me. You know, McPherson. Uh, that's easy. You know, that whatever. Um, Kaiafa. I was trying to go, like, what? What is it, Italian or is it Spanish or what is it? And I started looking. I was thinking, oh, okay, it must be Italian because there's a lot of Italian descended people in New Jersey, period, on, you know, that kind of northeast area. There there are a lot of Italians there. I go, it must be Italian. So I started looking into it. Um, actually, Lodi it is named after a town in Italy called, wait, hang on, wait a minute. What's it called? Lodi, yeah. That's what it's L-O-D-I. Yeah, that's the name of the town. It's in the Lombardy area of uh, Italy, by the way. Um, the, so there is a large Italian-American population in Lodi. Uh, mentioned the Sopranos a little while ago. Well, guess what? That bar, Bada Bing, from the movie Sopranos, wasn't it like a... I never watched the show. More's the pity for me, I guess. But uh, wasn't it like a strip club or something like that? Well, the Bada Bing bar is actually filmed... At a bar at a go-go club in Lodi. Yeah, interesting stuff there. So uh, there you go. You know, are you good to... No, I can't do... I can't do, like, the Italian mobster voice whenever I start talking about, like, Italian-American people on here. That's just... No, that's fucked. So uh, Jerry's name, how he got the name Jerry, only from Jerry Kayafa. Uh, on the very first 7-inch, the printer, they misspelled his name. So Jerry went said, hey, you guys can... On everything we do from here on out, can you just put Jerry, just only Jerry, Jerry, only Jerry? So they started calling him, oh, hey, hey what's up, Jerry, only, yeah, Jerry. There we go. <laughs> here it comes. The Italian voice. Oh, yeah. The um, What was John Travolta's character in Welcome Back, Cotter? Named? Jesus Christ, I can't remember now. Uh, it wasn't Epstein, I know that, or, or Horshack. Um I'll figure it out. I'll get back to you on another podcast on that one. Okay. Um, so there, that's, that's how Jerry only got his name, Jerry only. So here we go. Let's, uh, let's go down the first of many rabbit holes that we're going to go down on this one. I was looking into info on Jerry. Uh, honestly, I was trying to figure out was he an Italian American or like that name Kayafa is also, uh, can be Argentinian. So I go, well, maybe it's that too. So, I started researching a little of Jerry Only, and I found a very, very interesting article about the Misfits and what they were like in high school. Now, this is a fantastic article. I, I will link this on the website. I have to. It's so it's great. You know, it's pretty funny, too. Um, three of the Misfits went to Lodi High School. I think, actually, Bobby Steele did, too. I, I can't remember, but um, three of them for sure. Jerry. Doyle and Danzig all went to Lodi High School. So, yeah, this is a gold mine. this 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 thing that Vice did about them. Um, 
Jerry was like the coolest of the cool kids. In fact, there is not a single photo of him, and there are a ton of photos from his yearbooks through the years in which he is not wearing sunglasses, okay? he Oh, every picture he has sunglasses on. He's like, you know, think of a celebrity that you see that's like always has sunglasses on. Like, whoa, that's a cool motherfucker walking down the street right there. Yeah, yeah. Like Bono. Well, Bono's not cool, but Bono always has sunglasses. You got to think. Yeah, Jerry was way fucking cooler than Bono, okay? Uh, his football team photos, wearing sunglasses. Basketball team photo, he has sunglasses on. Voted most popular his senior year. Hey, Jerry, you want to take a photo? Yeah, yeah, we'll take a photo. Ah, he's got fucking sunglasses on. So his senior picture, Jerry only, Jerry Kayafa at that time, had fucking sunglasses on in his senior picture. Oh, he's the coolest dude in that school, wasn't he? Uh, another little side note here. Uh, this is where I found out uh, Doyle from the Misfits and Danzig's actual names. Now, Doyle Doyle be coming up. He doesn't kind of show up into this for a bit. He is he's Jerry's brother, by the way. But you know, so so bear with me on that. Um, Doyle's actual name. He's Jerry's younger brother, by the way, by a couple years or whatever. Uh, his actual name is Paul Kayafa. And he, when he was going to high school, he was actually the, playing guitar in the Misfits. And there are some pretty sweet pictures of Doyle with a, dre, a, a devil lock, dreadlock. Pardon me. It totally. This is not the reggae uh, podcast. This is the Misfits podcast. I'm sorry. Um, he has a devil lock in some of his uh, high school pictures. Hmm, pretty cool. Um, now, Danzig. Never knew this. I don't know why I never knew this. But Dan Danzig's real name is Glenn Anzalone, Glenn, A-N-Z-A-L-O-N-E. What is Glenn Danzig, or Glenn, I'm sorry, Glenn Anz, Anzalone's quote in his yearbook? That is what, this is what, what it was. Is, what's your ambitions, Glenn Danzig? What do you want to do with your life? I'm sorry, Glenn Anza, Anzalone. What do you want to do with your life? I, I'd like to attend trade school. Okay. Well, he did, you know, singing and playing the keyboard in a band is a trade. It's called being a loser. And that's what he did. And he ended up not losing so much, didn't he? Well, okay, so more or less, I mean, you know, these three dudes in the mist, they're kind of like the jabronis, you know? They're the, isn't it, you know, the jabron? I don't know. Is that, that's not a racial slur, right? No, 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 no. No, I have, like, Italian-American blood in me. So only the good part. Only the good part is Italian-American, yeah. I never knew any of that, so there will definitely be a link up on the website for that page because it's fucking hilarious. So, all right, so where were we? What were we talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Misfits for 7-inch. So, uh, by after the 7-inch, by August of 1977, the Misfits did find an actual guitarist, a guy by the name of uh, Frankie Coma. Now, let's note the spelling of his name, F-R-N. C H E. Now that was his stage name, Frankie Fra- or or Franch Coma. I think it's Frankie actually. Frankie Coma. His real name was Frank Licata. So you know another jabron here. Um, so no more electric piano for Danzig. Here we go. Punk rock uh, guitar. Good. Finally. So uh, Jerry and Danzig were starting to think. Well, this Martinez guy. And by the way, he was a fucking ripping drummer too. Um, he's not so reliable. So they kicked him out of the band. They got a guy named Mr. Jim to play the drums. And I, I would almost say based on that name alone, that, that wasn't a very smart choice. Was it Mr. Jim? Sounds like a guy that like, 
you know, delivers your groceries in the 50s. Oh, howdy, Mr. Jim. How are you? Did you bring me my, my lettuce and celery this week? Oh, sure. And I brought you a tub of mayonnaise, too, for that sandwich. Good thing. Thanks, Mr. Jim. All right. Uh, so the next phase of the Misfits, let's, after that, uh, Mercury Records wanted to use the name Blank Records for a subsidiary label of theirs that they were creating. So, so they got in touch with Danzig, and they gave him an offer. They said, hey, we'll give you some studio time. We'll pay for some studio time for you and your band if you'll give us the rights to the name Blank Records. So he said, okay, cool. So he traded the name Blank Records with Mercury for 30 hours of studio time. So they went into the studio in New York in January 1978 and recorded 17 songs. They mixed 14 of those songs for a full length. Now, they were shopping for a label, but no label wanted to put any of their stuff out. So what they did, Danzig made a, a brand new record label of his own and was calling it Plan 9 Records. A Plan 9 was named after the film, kind of a cult classic, Plan 9 from Outer Space, which is directed by the very legendary Ed Wood in certain circles. He's legendary for sure, in my mind, for sure. Uh, that 7-inch is a four-song 7-inch EP called Bullets. And they recorded, you know, like I said, 17 songs, and they only mixed 14. They mixed 14 of the songs with that 30 hours that they had in the studio with the idea they were going to put out a full-length called, and they were going to call it Static Age. But they couldn't find a record label that would actually put it out. So what's on Bullet? The song's on Bullet. Well, uh, there's a song called Bullet. Ah, imagine that. Uh, we Are 138, Attitude, and Hollywood Bab Babylon, Babylon are on there as well. Little trivia fact from this uh the band Texas is the Reason never really got into them or liked them that much, I guess. They got their names from the lyrics off the song Bullet. And that song was about the assassination of JFK. And also, apparently, it was about um, Jackie O performing fellatio on somebody because it says something about suck, suck, Jackie, something like, whoa, dude. Like, oh, like fucking major line crossing there. Like, no, that, I, no, no, I get it. That was a long time ago. But, yeah, that's fucked up. Uh, the Bullet EP came out in June of 1978. Static Age came out eventually in 1997. So I'm not even going to talk about that now. That'll be for Misfits Part 2. So you, hey, stay tuned to this podcast. So after they recorded these songs for Static Age, um, they started to kind of change their sound a little bit. Danzig was starting to write songs that had kind of a little bit of a spookier theme. Um Jerry started wearing makeup, like eye makeup, and he grew a devil lock. I was the first guy to have a devil lock. They started painting skulls on all their clothes and their amps and shit, and it's like, what the fuck, are these guys like 13? No, 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 they're like just out of high school. I mean, they're maybe in their early 20s, and that's about it. But, yeah, it's like a really little kid thing to do, don't you think? Yeah, well, they're the misfits. Fuck, they can do what they want. Um, I would say thus, you know, horror punk was born. While they were on tour in Canada in October of 1978, uh, Coma quit, and during in the middle of the tour, Coma quit said, fuck it, I'm out. And when they got home, Mr. Jim quit. They, those two guys didn't really appreciate kind of the, the horror theme that was kind of taking over uh, who the misfits were and what they were becoming. So, yeah, way to miss out on that, uh, cash cow. These, you guys fucking screw the pooch there, you know? So here comes Bobby Steele. Bobby Steele's real name was Bobby Coffold. Uh, they picked Bobby up. I think they Bobby saw an ad that they were running in Lodi. Lo, sorry, Lodi. Jeez, get it right. In Lodi, looking for a guitar player, answered it. They said, okay, yeah, we want you. Come on. 
And they got a guy named Joey Image, whose real name was Joey Poole, on drums. After they got those two guys, they record and release the horror business, 7-inch. Uh, that was recorded in January and February of 1979 at CI Studios in New York City. A uh, little notable fact about this little record. This record is the very first image of the Crimson Ghost that became the Misfits more or less mascot and kind of logo, kind of, you know, the skull with a hood and all that. Yeah, pretty cool. And also, I think the Fiend Club was born around that time. You know, the Misfits fan club where you could get like, they'd send you like buttons and stickers if they had them uh, when you joined and you could get exclusive seven inches and records and stuff that nobody else could get. As it grew, you know, this is the very beginning of it, though, I believe. So we'll talk a little more about the Fiend Club later for sure. Uh, the, the, the Crimson Ghost image was, I think, from what I was reading, might have been used prior to that horror business seven inch on a flyer for a show that the Misfits played at Max's Kansas City in New York City. Um, the Now, who is the Crimson Ghost? What, how did they come up with him? Well, he was a villain character in a serialized film uh, from the 1940s. Who the Misfits, you know, somehow saw a poster of this or something and stole the image of this Crimson Ghost and used him to, obviously, a very, very great success. So good for them. I mean, you know, he wasn't doing anything else, apparently, other than rotting in some film vault. Fil- film, pardon me, film vault somewhere. So, yeah. Uh, what songs were on this Horror Business 7-inch? Well, that's I'm glad you asked. On the A side, it's the song Horror Business. Again, fuck, imagine that. Uh, on the B side, it was Teenagers from Mars and Children in Heat. Now, let's take a little side trip. I got something pretty interesting here to say. Um about this kind of time in the Misfits' life. Now, just prior to recording the horror business, 7-inch, uh, Nancy, uh, God damn it, I can't even talk. Like, Nancy, no, Nancy something something. Nancy Spungen was found dead of a stab wound to the abdomen in Manhattan's Hotel Chelsea. Uh, Sid Vicious was arrested for the murder of Nancy and was released on bail while awaiting trial for second-degree murder. Now, why is this important to a story about the Misfits, you might ask? Hmm. I don't know, Bob. Why is it? Well, I'm here to tell you. On the night of February 1st, 1979, Jerry Only was at a small party celebrating Sid Vicious's release from jail. Now, that party was being held, or get-together. It was very small, apparently. That was at Sid Vicious's new girlfriend's house, uh, Michelle Robinson. Jesus Christ, he didn't even wait for her body to, like for Nancy's body to, like, cool off before he started dating another girl. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nobody expected Sid Vicious to be, like, a nice guy, I don't think, or a decent human being, I suppose. So, yeah. Well, regardless, that night Sid Vicious OD'd on heroin and died. Um, now, Sid Vicious's mother was also at this gathering. You know, apparently her son, she knew her son got arrested for murder, so she flew over from England to be there and she was at this party with all these like weird punk rock dudes like Jerry only um, okay so after Sid died Jerry helped um, Sid's mom uh, her name was Ann Beverly um, oh yeah ooh, oh wait I missed a very key part now apparently apparently Jerry only was one of the very last people to see Sid Vicious live I don't know if that's true or not now the reason I'd really like to talk to Bobby Steele because he probably knows I don't know if that's true or not, but that is a rumor. So maybe it's true. It's a little dramatic. But now, so 
Anne and Michelle, um, you know, Sid's mom and his girlfriend found his body. Uh, Jerry supposedly helped and get all this stuff together after he had been taken away, you know, and got all Sid's stuff, gave it to her and said, you know, hey, Anne, um, while you're in New York, um, why don't you come? To, we're recording a, a new record at the studio. Why don't, why don't you stop by and and see, hang out for a little bit? You know, see what it's like to be a, in a real band. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. I, I don't think he actually said that. Maybe he did. Like, I don't, you know, if, as you get to know Jerry only through this, he might have said something similar to that. But regardless, he, he invited the, the very much grieving mother of Sid Vicious to a Misfits recording session um, very shortly after he died. <sighs> well, um, yeah, what the fuck? Right? Isn't that one of those kind of what the fuck moments? Like, wh- why would you do that? <laughs> I don't I have no idea. I know Sid Vicious and, and Jerry were buddies. Um, apparently, the Misfits knew him. There was some discussion at some time that the Misfits were going to be Sid Vicious's backing band for a solo project that Sid Vicious was thinking of doing or a solo record or something. It never happened because Sid fucking OD'd and died. So, uh, and for the record, Sid's mom did go to that, you know, at least one of the recording sessions at uh, for Horror Business. Fucking weird, man. Weird. And another weird thing, there's some lyrics in the song Horror Business that people think might have something to do, at, you know, like a reference of uh, Nancy's death. And here's an example. You don't go into the bathroom with me as one, and then I'm warning you, I'll put a knife in you as another. But there's also a line in there that says Psycho 78. That makes some people think, well, that's a reference to the movie Psycho because um, Janet Lee gets killed in a shower with a knife in a bathroom, obviously, right? And thinking, well, when Danzig wrote those lyrics, he updated the year for the movie Psycho or, you know, Psycho in his mind or whatever from 1960 when it was made to 78. So, hey, this is Psycho 78. Get it? Okay. So maybe I, me, you be the judge. But for me, I think Danzig's talking about Sid killing Nancy. I don't know when he wrote the lyrics. I couldn't figure that part out, but I'd like to think that it's fucking gruesome. I shouldn't really think that. But anyways, fucking weird. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Another important little uh, rumor about the horror business 7-inch is that the the 7-inch was recorded in a haunted house in New Jersey. Well, no, as we all know now, it was recorded in a studio in New York City where um, Sid Vicious's mother was apparently banging Jerry only in the bathroom or something at some point. I don't know. I shouldn't say that. I don't know. Because the whole reason this was kind of kind of got out there, there's some weird noises on the recording, and what it really was, I think, was just they were in a shitty studio and they were didn't have a lot of money, so it just they left some weird noises. They didn't bother like mixing it out, so it got pressed. The record got pressed with these noises, um, and when they listened to the test pressings, they were like, "Oh fuck! Well, oh listen, this is weird. Okay, well we can't afford to go and remix it and repress it and do all this shit. Just leave it." Fuck it. We can't afford it. Um, let it go. So they put inserts in some of the records that actually said they did record the song in an abandoned and haunted house in New Jersey. No, they didn't. And I, that has Jerry Only's fucking shyster hands all over that fucking thing. Like, you can hear Jerry telling Glenn, like, hey, Glenn, no, no, no. Leave it in. It'll be a great fucking story. We'll sell more records, you know, and uh, yeah, uh, it'll be great, man. It'll be great. So yeah, that has his just his dirty little fingerprints all over it doesn't it yeah 
All right, so we're getting to another interesting part of the story here. So in June of 1979, the Misfits opened for the Damned in New York City. Um, Jerry went and talked to Dave Vanian about, hey, you know, uh, why don't we tour England with you guys? That'd be great. We can open for you guys. And apparently Dave Vanian said, okay, yeah, no, that sounds pretty good. Let's talk. Let's talk about it. And uh, okay, all right, great. Uh, meanwhile, the Misfits released another 7-inch, Night of the Living Dead. The title track was on the A-side was the Night of the Living Dead. Uh, again, wow, weird. Uh, B-sides were Where Eagles Dare. Ooh, that's interesting. And Rat Fink. Uh, new single in hand. They flew to England thinking they were going to tour with the Damned. Okay. Apparently now... Jerry told him, hey, let's go to England. You know, I'm going to get this tour all set up. Let's go. Jerry went ahead of the other guys, okay, to get, like, the contracts for the tour signed, how much they were going to get paid, and blah, blah, blah. Now, according to Bobby Steele, Jerry called the other guys after he got to England and said, yep, come on, you guys fly on over, contracts, I signed them, we're good to go, we're going to get paid good money, everything's going to be great. Well, it's not true. Jerry was fucking lying. Ooh, Jerry only Showing his shady side again, you know, after the you know possible haunted house recording fiasco thing there. Hmm, interesting, isn't it? Okay, yeah, Jerry was lying. Uh, it, when they all showed up, Vanian, Dave Vanian, did convince their management, like, "Hey, get these guys. They're here. Let's get them on this tour." So they did. They weren't very happy with the tour. And the Misfits only did two shows of this tour with the Damned. And that was apparently because they didn't get paid for any of the shows. The The deal was, yeah, you guys can play these shows, but uh, you're not getting paid for any of them. Fuck, okay. Well, that's a pretty shitty deal. So um, another thing for Bobby Steele, he says, during this tour, um, for the two days they were on it, Captain Sensible and Rat Scabies were being total dickheads to him. You know, kind of in his word, he said they were just busting busting your balls the whole time. Uh, that's interesting because I've heard Rat Scabies and Sensible, Captain Sensible, were both fucking total dickheads, like total total dicks. So yeah, that that I, I believe this a hundred percent. I believe this. Um, you know, maybe I first thought well before I found out about the pay thing. I thought well maybe the Misfits failed because Bobby punched Captain Sensible in the face on the second night of the tour. Good for him. Because that dude, I have heard that guy is just a fucking asshole, right? Just a self, a pompous, self-righteous piece of shit. I mean, who, who else does a song that says, I say, Captain, you say what? I say, Captain, you say what? Like, man, fuck you in that song, man. Captain Sensible. I'm going to do a solo thing after the after the damned because I'm the best thing. No, you're not. I'm sorry. Rat Scabie was, was a great part of the damned. He was a great drummer. Dave Vanian, however, is really the star of the show. Captain, fucking take your clothes off and play with your tiny wang hanging out and doing this. You say what song? Like, man, fuck you. So, Bobby Steele, good job. Thank you for punching Captain Sensible. The, all of humanity thanks you for that at this point, I believe. But, yeah, anyway, they got they they left that tour because they weren't getting paid, more or less. And, and Captain Sensible's a giant piece of shit. So, yeah, there you go. While they were in England and af, after they found out they weren't touring, uh, the drummer at the time, Joey Image, quit. And he flew back to the United States. So 
the rest of the guys, they didn't have any flights booked to go back home until December of 1979 because they were expecting to be on this tour for a while, right? Well, that didn't happen. So they stuck around in London while while they were there. Um, Jerry, again, went and hung out with Sid Vicious's mother, Anne, for a while. Uh, Jerry, at that time, was 20 years old. Anne was 46. Uh, maybe there was a little May-December romance going on there. I don't know. I don't know, but it's fucking creepy, no matter how you look at it, if you ask me, to be honest with you. I don't... Ugh, yuck. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, there is a rumor, there's a story that during the time the Misfits were in London waiting to go home, uh, Bobby and Glenn got into a fight with some skidheads at a jam show, right? And spent a couple days in jail, and that inspired the song London Dungeon. Well, I thought maybe it was true, but found a great interview with Bobby where he talks about this. Now, according to him, according to Bobby Steele, him and Danzig were at uh, a pub across the street from this venue where the jam were playing, right? And Danzig was like drunk as shit and was going like, oh, these skinheads over here, they're going to fucking kick the shit out of us. They're going to beat us up. They're going to fuck us up. And Bobby's going, what skinheads? What are you talking about? Like looks over where Danzig's pointing. There's nobody there. Like, what are you talking about, dude? So Danzig was like so drunk. He was fucking hallucinating, right? Uh, So finally, Bobby goes, all right, fuck this. I'm going to go get something to eat. So he bails. And as he's coming back with his food, he sees the bouncers from this pub like, Pulling Danzig inside, like five of these guys dragging Danzig's scrawny ass because he was scrawny at that point. He wasn't like the big buff or well, the little like five foot tall buff dude that he would become someday. Um, these bouncers are dragging him in, and then the cops come and haul fucking Danzig away. Bobby's like throwing his French fries at him. Hey, get off him! Get off him! Um, and they're like, "Hey, man, no, no, back off, dude, because you're gonna get arrested too. So knock it off. You're cool. We know who you are. So you're cool. So he he chilled, but he you know he here Bobby's kind of stuck um Danzig had all of their money so he didn't really have any place to go so he went down to the jail to try and get to the police station try and get Danzig out of jail and they wouldn't they're like no no he's got to go to court no he's not getting out of jail he was doing some stupid shit so Bobby thinks to himself well I I guess the best thing for me to do now to have a uh warm dry place to stay is uh get thrown in jail too and he thought well i'll go in and pee on the floor of the jail he never got the chance to do that um as he was kind of going back to the cop station or something like that the bouncers of the club saw him and they're like there he is go get him and they fucking grabbed him and then all the cops came arrested him and they threw him in another cell so him and Danzig are in the same jail in separate cells different story than the original one i heard about writing london dungeon but Eventually, they did end up in the same jail cell when they were in a holding cell as they were waiting to go to court. And that's where they came up with the song London Dungeon as they're sitting in this cell. They were sitting there kind of writing out the song as they waited to be seen by a magistrate or something like that. So, all right. Uh, pretty cool story. Uh, so they came back from England and they had no drummer once again. Um they released an EP when they came out because they had recorded before they went to England for this this EP or 7-inch. Or actually, I don't know if this was a 7-inch or not. Um, but Beware. Um, that was the name of this EP. They had recorded it before, but the artwork wasn't ready for them to take uh, the records and have them finished and done and have them for this tour that they were supposed to do in England that completely fell through. 
Um, that came out on Plan 9, Danzig's label again in the United States. And then it was on Armageddon, or I'm sorry, Armageddon and Spartan Records in the UK. And that came out in January of 1980. Um, like I said, it was planned for the UK tour, but the artwork wasn't done, so they didn't have it. There's seven songs on it. Yeah, so was, I'm sorry, it wasn't a seven inch. It was a, like a 12 inch EP. The most notably on this release, this is the first appearance uh, on a record of the song Last Caress. Do you want me to sing a little bit of the song? I got no, you know the song? Okay, good. Something to say. Okay. I don't do a very good dancing voice. I did something. Yeah. <clears throat> I'll stop now. Thank you. Uh at this point the Misfits took a little break before adding their next drummer to the lineup of the ever revolving drummer lineup of the band, uh, Arthur Googie. And his real name was Arthur McGuckin. That was springtime of 1980. Around this time, this is very notable for the future of the band, uh, Danzig and Jerry both started teaching Jerry's younger brother, Paul, whose nickname was Doyle, how to play the guitar. Uh, pretty interesting. And note that. Write that in your little book, and we'll carry on here. Uh, Misfits began working on songs for what would become their very first full-length record walk among us and that they started kind of getting ready for that um they recorded oh i'm sorry they they were getting writing songs getting ready for this full length spring and summer 1980 they went into a studio and recorded 12 songs in august of 1980 now here's the fucked up part about this okay bobby Steele was still the only guitar player in the band right but meanwhile kind of on the side doyle had been practicing with Jerry and Danzig and he even recorded on some of the tracks for this, for the upcoming uh, walk among us record unbeknownst to Bobby Steele, as far as I know. So also at that point, Jerry was trying to convince Danzig like, Hey, let's get Doyle in the band. Um, I'd rather have him than Bobby. I think Doyle would be a better fit for the band. Cause Doyle was uh, already doing like Rodian for the band, hanging out with him all the time, you know, He's Jerry's brother. Okay, blood's thicker than water, right? Eh, you know what I'm saying? You capiche? Oh, okay, you capiche. See, this is how these guys work. You know, it's all family. It's all about the family, right? Especially in Lodi, New Jersey. Okay? So, yeah. Okay. Um, in October of 1980, they kicked Bobby Steele out of the Misfits, and Doyle took over on guitar. Um, and what a fucking sad day that was, because Bobby Steele was great he was fine there's no reason to kick him out uh, what i have heard is they didn't really like they thought doyle would like look better you know as like a human being i guess i don't fucking know um bobby had spina bifida had been through polio i've read i don't know if that's true I'd, like i said i'd like to talk to him about a few things that's something i would ask him about but um yeah so they they kicked bobby out and added doyle Doyle Wolfgang von Frankenstein, as he's known now, uh, by the way. Yeah. So from that point on, there's been a feud between Bobby and Jerry. And that continues basically to this day. There's so much that I can say about that. Because I'm on Team Bobby. I'm on Team Bobby and Team Fuck Jerry only because he's a, a fuck. He's a son of a bitch, apparently. What a, I've read about that guy. He is a shady dude, man. Shady dude. There's a lot that I want to say about this. I think I'll save that for the next podcast on The Misfits Part 2 when that does come out eventually. Uh, who knows when that's going to be. But anyways, t- I, there are time constraints because we're getting we're moving on here. Um, 
I'm just going to lay out the basics kind of about this feud between Bobby and Jerry. Now, um, Jerry wanted Doyle in. And I, you know, like I said, I, I don't think Jerry thought that uh, Bobby really, his image fit the band as much as Doyle's would. So Jerry basically manipulated Danzig into kicking Bobby Steele out. Uh, kind of, you know, talked him into it more or less. Because Danzig was a control freak to an extent. But I think Danzig was okay with Bobby Steele because listen to this. Now, Bobby started a new band right after he got kicked out of the Misfits called The Undead. And Danzig actually fronted him money to record songs for the very first Undead record that Plan 9, Danzig's label, was going to release. Uh, What was starting to happen, though, is as The Undead started playing shows and they were getting like more attention than the Misfits. Danzig didn't like that. One thing about Danzig that I am getting with all this shit that I read about him and the band and everything is you, Glenn Danzig doesn't like to be number two. He wants to be number one. And I think that's the short guy complex a little bit. Look at the fucking guy's hair. You know, look at how much he overcompensated by lifting all those weights and shit. Danzig wants to be number one. And when the undead was kind of creeping up, you know, former mi- member of the Misfits, um, getting more attention than the Misfits, people are giving them more favorable reviews and yada yada. He was like, oh, you know that record we we're talking about? No, fuck your record. No, that record sucks. I don't want anything to do with it. So the, no more. Like, fuck poor Bobby Steele, man. He's just doing his thing. You know, Danzig's all cool with him. Like, yeah, everything will be fine. Here's some money to record with. I'll put your record out. People start saying, oh, the undead. That's Bobby from the Misfits. I that's that's what I really liked about the Misfits is the way this dude played guitar. Yeah, let's oh, they're awesome. They're great. Uh, and by the way, the Misfits are playing tomorrow. Oh, they didn't like that shit. So or Danzig didn't. So anyway, yeah, no more. That kind of ended that relationship. Um, a little jealousy. Oh, yeah, it sounds like it with me. Now, the undead did play a show with the Misfits at the Ritz in New York City in 1981, but the whole time the of this show, the Misfits were talking shit about Bobby Steele on stage, um, just slagging him, saying what a shithead he was, what a shitty guitar player, blah, 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 which wasn't true. So, yeah, what the fuck, man? What a bunch of jerks, dude. Um, the Misfits, that is. And to this day, according to Bobby Steele, Jerry only will still talk shit about him in almost every interview he does for no reason, like... You know, they'll say, so Jerry, you know, what's up next for the Misfits? Well, you know, anything that has anything not to do with Bobby Steele, that's what we're going to talk, you know, because fucking Bobby Steele just fuck, you know, that guy walks by and, uh, you know, a fucking baby starts crying. It's like, no, it's not true, Jerry. You know, you walk by and people's fucking, like, money somehow disappears from their wallets because you're such a fucking crook. <clears throat> oh, anyway. Um. According to Bobby Steele, what a lot of people think about the Misfits is that Danzig is like the real bad guy. And Jerry is like, just this good guy. Hey, he's this happy-go-lucky Jerry only from Lodi, you know? Uh, no, that's not true. It's Danzig is more of the good guy and Jerry is the bad guy. And I think we're starting to see a lot of patterns here, aren't we? This is pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I, I tend to think Jerry is the bad guy as well. Well, it's definitely a lot of drama, to, to say the least. So uh, that... It's good for podcasting, don't you think? I do. All right, let's talk a little bit more about Doyle. You know, now that we're off of that subject with poor Bobby, man. Um, 
Doyle made his first appearance uh, playing guitar. He was 16 years old uh, with the Misfits at their annual Halloween performance at New York City's Irving Plaza. Now, after that, the next thing the Misfits released, they chose three of the 12 songs they recorded for the Walk Among Us record for a 7-inch called Three Hits from Hell, which came out in April of 1981. What's notable about this 7-inch is both Bobby Steele and Doyle are on that recording. The only thing Bobby plays on this one, though, is Bobby plays the main guitar riff on London Dungeon. Doyle does everything else. So uh, in October of 1981, actually on Halloween, they put out another 7-inch called, appropriately, Halloween. What's notable about the Halloween 7-inch? It's the first time they used in, like, the Misfits logo, um, kind of that famous Monsters magazine font, that style of font, and there was no the. It just said Misfits with that kind of weird, you know, famous Monsters font. But it's pretty cool. And that was also the last time that Bobby Steele was on any any Misfits record at all. Um, he was on the B-side he played on Halloween, too. So Doyle was on everything else. And again, that was recorded by Doyle while Bobby was still in the band, you know. And it, I, the thing about Bobby Steele is there's really no good reason for him to have been kicked out of the Misfits, which makes it sad to me because it's like, dude, you guys were just dicks. And you wanted somebody that you thought maybe looked better, maybe you were more friends with or something like that, which, okay, I get that part a little bit. But, you know, Jerry totally fucking manipulated dancing like, yeah, let's get rid of Bobby and bring in my brother and there you go. Well, I mean, it, what can you do? You know, the rest is history, as they say. So in March of 1982, um, we see the release of The Misfits' very first full-length record, Walk Among Us. And that came out on Ruby Slash Records. Uh, it is the only Misfits full-length to be released while the, you know, in this 1977 and 1983 version of The Misfits was still active. Uh, the band did tour a bunch in support of, of Walk Among Us. Uh, during one of the tours, Googie and Danzig got into a fight in the McDonald's parking lot. Argument, maybe a fight. And Danzig kicked Googie the fuck out in the middle of this tour, apparently. Um, they offered the job to Eri Vaughn, who was a friend of the band, but he was committed to another project, so he couldn't do it. Now, at the time, the Misfits were friends with, especially Danzig. He was a buddy of uh, Henry Rollins. So Rollins suggested... Well, hey, why don't you guys call this guy Robo? He was a drummer in Black Flag. He's not in the band anymore. So why don't you replace Googie with Robo? So Robo joined. Robo flew out to New Jersey in July of 1982 to join the Misfits. In September of 1982, the Misfits headed out on a national tour with the Necros as their opening band. And the Necros were fucking tight. They're weird, like, but they're pretty good. Yeah, you should check those guys out too, for sure. While the Misfits were in New Orleans, while on this tour, they got arrested for grave robbing. Apparently, they were looking for the grave of famed voodoo practitioner Marie Laveau. I don't know if they found that or took anything. I don't know what they did, but they got arrested. They got bailed out of jail, and they just skipped town and kept going on the tour. Good job. Keep it scoopy, Misfits. Keep it scoopy. Oh, fuck. This is a lot of <laughs> These are a lot of words for me to deal with. I'm sorry. Keep it spooky, misfits. That's what I was trying to say. Bada bing. <clears throat> oh, that Italian thing coming out of me right real quick. <clears throat> yes, sir. Uh, next record they put out was Evil Live, which was recorded at a couple live shows, one in San Francisco in 1981 and one in New York City, which was also recorded in 1981. The Evil Live AP EP came out in December of 1982, and 
initially that was one of those things it was just a fiend club member only release so the first pressing and all that went to members of the fiend club only that was it they did stuff a lot like that and you know the fiend club people kind of got first pick of the special they got special releases special merch before anybody else so they were the misfits were cool like that to their pe- to people that liked them that were members of the fiend club and all this stuff their fan club right they were pretty cool like that so that that I do appreciate the Misfits for that and their music. I do appreciate them for the music too. Thank you. Um, here's where we're things are going to start to get a little good. And '82 Danzig was starting to get a little tired of the Misfits. Apparently, uh, he started writing his own songs for maybe a possible like future solo thing or a new band. You know, whatever seems like maybe he's getting a little tired of it. And apparently, in June of '83, Danzig actually told Henry Rollins like. Uh, I'm done. Like, I'm going to quit this band anytime. So, uh, interestingly enough, in July of 1983, the Misfits went back to the studio to record a new EP in which also Danzig recorded two of his very own songs. And that turned this EP into a full length, which was the Earth AD slash Wolf's Blood. A lot of people just know it as Earth AD. So that, that was the last Misfits full length. And that was released in December of 1983, that's the last Misfits full-length featuring Danzig, and it actually came out on Plan 9 Records two months after the band broke up. So here is the breakup story, though. Uh, first, the sound on the on Earth AD. A little different, not not as punkish as the older stuff or as the other stuff, I should say. Um, kind of had a little bit of a thrashy, faster metal kind of thing going on it. It really kind of foreshadowed the direction that Danzig wanted to go, like with Sawen and Danzig. So... His solo, you know, solo record. Uh, yeah, interesting. Kind of makes sense, though, doesn't it, in a way? Funny thing about Earth 82 is it's that record is less than 15 minutes long. There's nine songs on it. So, Jesus Christ, that makes Tillwheel look like fucking songwriting champs. We're like, oh, that song's short. It's only two minutes long. No, most of these songs on this record are like a minute and a half long. So, I mean, that's cool. I like that. I actually kind of appreciate that. Uh, Robo did quit the Misfits in August of 1983 after, hmm, surprise, surprise, a series of arguments with Glenn Danzig. Are we noticing a theme here? Glenn Danzig and drummers don't get along too well. That means I would definitely probably not get along with that that fellow. That's interesting. That was around the time when he, when Robo quit. That's when Danzig really got started to get serious about looking for other people to start a new band with. So. On October 29th of 1983, the Misfits were playing their annual Halloween show, which they would do somewhere in the United States at some point, somewhere. They'd always play, like, right around Halloween, right? This time it was at Detroit's Greystone Hall, and they were playing with the Necros. On drums, they had a dude from Verbal Abuse named Brian Damage. His real name was Brian Keats. His last name really wasn't Damage. No, it wasn't. Um that he was going to be the new drummer for the Misfits. Well, he had a pretty short-lived career, trust me. Um, during that show, this Halloween show, Brian got really fucked up before the show. Uh, so bad that he couldn't play. So bad that eventually Doyle like grabbed him off his drum set and took him off. He'd get the fuck out of here, like dragged him off stage. He was that wasted, apparently. So the drummer for the Necros, Todd Swalla, finished up the set. At the very end of the show, Danzig said, All right. All right, this is the last Misfits show. Or sounded some didn't sound as Fred Flintstoney. I think he sounded more like, or 
you know, uh, honeymooners, whatever. Um, but anyway, Danzig said it was the last Misfits show. That was it. They all went home after that, and they all went their separate separate ways. The Misfits had officially broken up as of October 29th, 1983. So why? Why do you think the Misfits broke up? I think there's plenty of reasons throughout this that would explain it, honestly. <clears throat> Excuse me. What I do think, though, what I think is Danzig was just kind of like fed up with the whole thing. Um, you know, I've heard it said Danzig didn't like the way the other guys played. He didn't think they were good enough musicians. I think Danzig just wanted to do something else. Danny, Danzig wanted to play a different type of music a little bit and keep some of the song, Misfit songs that he really liked, which and that's what he did with Sawin or Sawen, which is spelled Sam Hain. It's not pronounced Sam Hain, but we'll talk about that in just a sec. We're getting to the very home stretch here, okay? So be patient. I think he just wanted. I just think he just wanted out. I think he wanted to do something else. And that's cool. Whatever. Good for him. It didn't break up in the best way possible, but it kind of makes sense. He was frustrated. It was a shitty show. He was like, man, fuck this. I'm going to do something else. So, yeah, I just think he was done with the whole thing and wanted to do his own thing. So let's move on to the 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 post-Glenn Danzig misfit period up to the reunion of Doyle, Jerry only and Glenn Danzig and this is going to be a very brief part trust me because like I said we'll cover more of this in another podcast I believe now the original version of the Misfits they're done uh, Danzig started uh, Sawen with Erie Vaughn and Steve Zing in 1983 that Sawen had a much more kind of gloomy and metal sound I fucking love it I do and I hated it when I was a kid when I was like 15 16 years old when like November Coming Fire the third I think that was a third so when record that came out, I didn't like it. I listened to it today like twice. I fucking loved it, dude. I really did. It's really gloomy and dark and kind of heavy. Like, yeah, it's fine. It's really, really good. Uh, so when also played some misfit song songs as well. Uh, oh, and by the way, uh, so when that is named after what is essentially amounts to the, the Celtic version of Halloween. Um, kind of the Celtic end of the year festival kind of thing. Uh, tell you what, listen to the I Want to Party with Bob podcast on Halloween night, and there will be a, a podcast about the history of Halloween that will explain more about what Sawen is. So, yeah, good. You know, a little advertising for myself in here. That's good. So, yeah, Sawen's pretty rad. Like I said, didn't like him when I was a kid in the 80s, but, oh, I love him now. So, I, you know, the funny thing, I didn't even really start to like the Misfits that much until about 20 years or so ago, which is kind of weird, too. I didn't like them when, when I was a kid. I was super into, like, TSOL and Circle Jerks and Dead Kennedys and all this shit. But, yeah, never really liked the Misfits until about 20 years ago. And, by the way, the Sawin record, November Coming Fire, has, like, the raddest album cover of all time. I love that artwork. It's fucking beautiful, man. It is beautiful. It's it's creepy and gnarly and just, oh, it's rad. But, yeah, there you go. Um, okay. So uh, while this was going on, too, Danzig also put out a Misfits compilation record in 1985 called Legacy of Brutality. Now we're going to talk about Danzig's shitty side for sure. Now that took some some tracks they recorded in 1978 during the Static Age sessions, some other unreleased stuff, put it all out on one record. Oh, yeah. Uh, Danzig went in and overdubbed a bunch of the guitar and bass tracks that he didn't like or feel like were up to par without the permissions of anybody that played the songs on the original recordings. 
the most notably of those people would be Bobby Steele. So there's Bobby Steele getting fucked again, you know? Fucking these guys, man. Danzig and Jerry, man. Fucking, I swear to God. If, if either of those guys ever come with to you with a business proposition, just turn around and walk the other way because, fuck, those guys are shady as shit. So yeah, Bobby still can't catch a break. Like, what the fuck? He was a good dude, man. He didn't have to, you know, I don't know. Anyway, why did Danzig do that? Why? Why do you think? He wouldn't have to pay out as much royalties for those songs. If, the, he, if you can't give them song credit, if he's the only one that has song credits, he doesn't have to give those guys shit. So guess what? Ooh, that changed things, didn't it? Now Glenn Danzig has song credits for like 90-something percent of all the Misfits shit. Oh, okay. Keep those royalty checks coming in, Glenn. Yeah, good man. Good man, right? Asshole. Uh, anyway, in 1987, Danzig formed the band Danzig, hmm. which I do love that first record. It's really good. After that, like that Lucifudge record, Lucifuge. I know it's called Lucifuge. I call it Lucifudge. But that record fucking sucks. There's a couple okay songs on it, but then it goes into this weird, like, metal blues shit that's like, oh, man, fuck this. Like, I didn't, god damn, I don't even know what to compare it to other than just a heap of steaming fucking garbage. It's, dude, it's horrible. But that that first Danzig record is fucking great. Two songs, Twisted Cane and Possession. Those are my two favorite songs. The rest of it's okay. And, oh, yeah, and... Chuck Biscuits from DOA's on drums on that, and that's fucking great. Okay, so what were uh, what were Jerry and Doyle up to during this time? Hang on, I need to wet my whistle before we get into this. This is a good one. Oh yeah, <clears throat> oh Jerry and Doyle. Oh, that's funny. <clears throat> In 1987, Jerry and Doyle went on to form a Christian metal band called Christ the Conqueror. Um, Christ being spelled K-R-Y-S-T. Ooh, what happened, Jerry? Well, hmm. apparently Jerry was regretful of his past with the Misfits and also uh, regretted banging Sid Vicious's mom in the bathroom of the recording studio and at, you know, in her garden at her house in England as well. <coughs> um, don't sue me for libel, Jerry, by the way. I'm sorry. I'm just stating the facts as I know them to be, and they're not facts at all. I'm just, it's conjecture at this point. Um, I was going to say something about him. Nah, never, I can't even say that about Sid Vicious. Nope, nope, not going to go there. Okay. Um, yeah, apparently Jerry was regretful of his past with, you know, the satanic and evil imagery of the misfits. So he found he found Christ and uh, decided to name a band after him and call, began to call himself Mo the Great, M-O the Great, Mo the Great. I'm not going to talk about Christ the Conqueror. We don't have fucking time. I'm over an hour and a half in it now, and you guys just don't have the time for that. That is my point about doing another Misfits Part 2 kind of thing. This is going to be a big thing we're going to talk about because this shit's fucking stupid, dude. It's the stupidest. Who names a band Christ the Conqueror? You know, oh, I don't know, maybe fucking Second Amendment gun people in America these days that think Jesus is some, like, warrior priest bullshit. Fucking, you know, goddamn these fucking shit. All right, let's move on. So, um, yeah, at some point, Jerry went after Glenn Danzig for uh, past royalties. 
And that started a year long, years and years long legal battle. And Danzig had pretty much full credit for writing all of the Misfits songs, all the lyrics, all the music. Uh, Jerry and Doyle claimed in a lawsuit, I guess, that they had written about 25 to 30 percent of the music. So um, eventually Jerry did drop this lawsuit looking for the royalties. And he also wanted credits for some of the songwriting. But uh, eventually he did drop that. And he settled for, well, instead of giving me song, songwriting credit and the royalties from old stuff, just give me the right to perform in a band as the Misfits to use the name and the imagery, especially the Crimson Ghost logo. So in 95, 1995, Danzig and Jerry Only and Doyle settled, which allowed Only and Doyle to record and perform as the Misfits. They did have to share merchandising rights with Danzig, which is where all the money is for the Misfits. Think Crimson Ghost t-shirts and shit. That was big. All those fucking metal dudes were wearing it. Remember after Metallica did the Garage Days re-revisited and all that other bullshit um, that struck up all this interest in the Misfits? That was kind of helped them resurge like in the late 80s, early 90s kind of thing, right? All kinds of fools were wearing those t-shirts. Fuck, I had one, okay? I had one and I didn't even like the Misfits that much then. I was just bandwagoning. I shouldn't even have admitted that. I'm sorry. To myself, I'm sorry, that is. So, uh, yeah, so Jerry Jerry and Doyle got the, the right to become the Misfits without dancing, more or less. So they did. They reformed the Misfits. Um, in the meanwhile, uh, apparently Danzig took to eating cake backstage, um, getting his ass beat, you know, again backstage by people that he starts fights with, and spending some quality time with his cats, and buying them large quantities of kitty litter and cat food at stores in L.A. So, yeah, um, so this new version of the Misfits, uh, there was a kid named Michael Graves singing, and a gentleman by the name of Dr. Chud, and he is also from Lodi, New Jersey, on drums. Uh, Chud was also in, you know, Christ the Conqueror with Doyle and Jerry. You know, where's your God now, Jerry? That's what I want to ask. Real quick, let's just get this out of Jerry, where's your God now? Oh, oh, we worship at the altar of the almighty dollar, don't we, Jerry? Mm-hmm. We sure do, Jerry only. Yeah, fucking bad guy of the misfits. Bad boy. Yeah, you're a bad boy. Now, by the way, I, I think I said this at the beginning of the podcast as well, but I fucking love the Graves Only Doyle Chud version of the Misfits. I mean, that song Saturday Night from the famous Monsters record. Oh, fuck. Come on. It's so good. It's this weird doo thing. It's fucking great. Now, they only put out two records. They put out American Psycho and Famous Monsters. Both are fucking fantastic records. Like pop metal, not Misfits really at all, but they're great records on their own. That's kind of what B.A. from Sloppy Seconds was saying. You know, and I totally agree with him that these, it's a good band. It's not the Misfits, though. It's not. It just isn't. Not without Danzig. Um, after this version of the Misfits, after the, the Graves and Chud and Jerry Only and Doyle version broke up, um, Jerry kept the Misfits going. And this time, it was Jerry, Des Kadena, who was in Black Flag, and uh, Marky Ramone on drums. Oh, Marky Ramone. Uh, listen to Best Show, by the way, with John Wooster and I forget the other guy's name, but the best uh, Marky Ramone parody you'll ever hear in your fucking life. Guaranteed. Absolutely guaranteed. So, yeah. Um, that music was okay. The music was good with Daz, Marky, and Jerry. Jerry's singing is not so good. I don't appreciate it very much. The music, it's pretty good. I listened to it the other day. I actually enjoyed some of it, except for when Jerry's singing, because I don't fucking like 
Jerry only, apparently. This is becoming pretty obvious by this point, I think. But it, the music is pretty good. Uh, Robo even came back, Robo, and played with Jerry for a little bit. So also interesting to note during this post-original um, Misfits period that in starting in around 2004, Doyle started playing some Misfits songs live with Danzig. When Danzig was out on tour, they'd bring out Doyle and they'd play a few Misfits songs. Kind of interesting. And that happened up until about 2013. It was a very off and on thing. That was kind of part of what led up to the 2016 reunion, 33 years after the band um, broke up. Isn't that crazy? Like, So Doyle, Jerry, and Danzig effectively reunited the Misfits with Dave Lombardo playing drums. And holy shit, it's fucking great. It really is. It's silly. It's obviously a cash grab. But it's fucking, the music is fucking phenomenal, I think. Um, the very first thing they did, they did two shows. They they did Riot Fest in Denver and a Riot Fest in Chicago. But they are going now to this day. Here it is, October of 2019. They're playing at Madison Square Garden like next week or something, I think. So I, I I think I read a little bit. There may be some kind of contract stuff that they signed as far as them lasting these reunion shows until their 40th anniversary for like a huge show where Satan's going to be summoned or something like that. Or maybe it's Cthulhu, hopefully. And then we're all done and fuck who cares anymore, you know. Good riddance to all of us. Goodbye. Uh, that's kind of cool. Um, but... Regardless, I don't really care that they're doing it for the money. You know, fine, I don't care. I'm not them. You know, I feel bad for guys like Bobby Steele that they fucked along their way for sure. Um, and Jerry's a douche for sure. Danzig's not much better, it doesn't seem like. But you know what? As a band, the three of them together sound fucking great, even though they're not really all playing their instruments. I don't think. I don't know. But I'm glad to see them playing because they fucking do. those. They sound fucking great. Those shows sound fucking great. The only thing I wish they would do, the only fucking thing I really wish they would do, why don't you guys, you know, you guys were able to bury the hatchet with Danzig after all these years of Jerry and Danzig fighting. Why don't you guys have Bobby Steele come back instead of two assholes hiding behind Doyle backstage playing guitar? Why don't you bring Bobby out and have him play guitar? Let the poor guy make some money off of the songs that he helped write for you guys years ago. Bring him out. I'd be happier than shit if they did that. So, you know, Glenn, uh, Doyle, Jerry, if you're listening, I'm sure they're not. Um, I shouldn't say that. Maybe they are. I'm going to hashtag the shit out of them. They probably do have people, like, watching, just like Disney, you know. Ooh, hey, Glenn, they mentioned you again. Yeah, what are they talking? Are they talking about the, the beating the cake backstage or the time when I got my ass beat? No, no, this guy's talking all the shit. Oh, fuck him. Well, I just want to say, if you're listening... um, Throw Bobby up there. That'd be perfect. That'd be the right thing to do. You guys don't have the perfect track record of doing the right thing as a band and as people, Misfits. You know, especially Jerry and Glenn. Throw Bobby up there for these reunion shows. Let the guy make some money. Retire in style. Everything, everybody would be happy. You bastards. You probably won't do it, will you? All right. Well, that's fine. Let's well, end. That was a lot. Um, yeah, that was a ton of shit. Way more, way, way more than I expected to ever talk about the Misfits. But there were some very interesting things for me throughout their history. Very interesting band to where I do want to carry on, do a part two. Hey, let me know. Write me an email. Comment on the webpage. You know, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that bullshit. Leave me a comment. 
talk to me about it. Say, should I do a part two where I get more into uh, Christ the Conqueror and some other things? I want to. Let me know if you think I should. That would be great. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff here tonight. It was good. A massive, huge, huge thanks to BA from Sloppy Seconds for letting me use the song and all the other guys in Sloppy Seconds, as well as Bobby Steele, you know, thanking him uh, rather kind of second-handedly for being part of that Sloppy Seconds recording that BA is letting me use for this podcast only, and that's it. So thank you very much. Their version of Where Eagle Stare is great. It's coming up in just a second. Listen to Sloppy Seconds. They're fucking incredible. BA is a super, super good dude. Um, also, another huge thanks to Miski D. Rodriguez of City Mouse for that awesome song. Very lovely version of Astro Zombies. An interesting thing to say is a lovely version of a song called Astro Zombies. But there it is. Also, remember, subscribe, rate me, and review me online. Um, online, I should say, on your favorite podcast app, because that's where you do things like that. So let me get my shit together and say the right thing. And I just did. So thanks so much for listening tonight. I do appreciate it. If you made it all the way through, you're a champ, because I'm at the hour and 40-minute point, and I still have to play Where Eagles Dare. Stay tuned for that, just for that. That song's fucking fantastic. And remember, I ain't no goddamn son of a bitch. You better think about that, babe. Good night and thanks for listening.